So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, and, you know, as I'm reading this, there are a couple, a couple of words that I want to point out to you that I want you to just kind of make a mental note of. And they're words that start with a W, and I'll, I'll point them out as we go through this. It says that Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked where, and that's the first W word that I want to point out, is the one that has been born King of the Jews, for we saw his star in the east, and we have come to Second W word, worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, this is written in, in Micah, by the way, but you, Bethlehem, several hundred years, some, you know, several hundred years before Jesus is even born, the prophet is predicting the location, the place of the Messiah's birth. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who is to be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the, child, or the, saw the star, uh, they were overjoyed, and on coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned, and that's the third uh, W word that I want you to look at this morning, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their countries by another route. It's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. All right, the three words, where and worship and warn. And, no, I just want to, you know, there are a lot of myths that kind of like, you know, that just kind of come with the Christmas package. And, uh, you know, I need to diffuse some of those this morning. And one of those is, uh, remember we sing this song called, We Three Kings of Orient Are? Well, you know, I know that, you know, many of you put a lot of stock in that, but you know, there's nothing in the, in the Scripture that indicates that these are kings. Uh, in fact, the Scripture says that they are magi. It's where we get the word magic from. They were magicians. Uh, they Remember a couple of weeks ago, we were reading in Daniel, we were talking about the Chaldeans, and, and with the Chaldeans, there were the astronomers, and there were the, the magicians, and all of these people that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to bring into him to, you know, find the interpretation to his dream. But among them was Daniel and, and some of the Hebrew children. And so it may be, it may have been that from, you know, some of their teachings about a star, you know, rising from Jacob, that, you know, that these wise men or these magicians or the magi, as we call them, um, learned about, you know, the, you know, from the scriptures. Um, but, uh, 
you know, the, the other thing, too, is that, you know, they may not have even really been believers. You know, in Babylon, you know, they just embraced everything. They embraced, the, you know, the astrology, astronomy, the reading of the stars, everything. It was just like, you know, they bowed down to the golden image. Anything that, you know, might remotely look like God or resemble God, kind of like the men at, at, at Athens where Paul, you know, shows up and they've got this inscription to the, even to the unknown God. And uh, they're just, you want to make sure they're covering all their bases. And so when these magi show up, it may be that they weren't, I mean, there's no real indication that they were even believers, but, you know, this is kind of the good news because we see that in Luke chapter 2, when it talks about the angels appearing to the shepherds, well, these were Jewish shepherds and they went up to worship the child. And, uh, and so then we've got these men from the east, from this other country, you know, from Babylon, which, by the way, is about 500 miles away. It was, you know, quite an endeavor on their part to just reach. It was a commitment. It was a sacrifice on their part to, you know, to travel 500 miles to worship this child. And so, uh, uh, but the great news in that is that, you know, you see Jews that are, are worshiping Jesus, the shepherds, and we see, you know, pagans that have come to worship, you know, Jesus. And, and the good news in that is that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. He's not just the Jewish Messiah. He is the Savior of the whole world. And that's what the, the angel's proclamation was, that to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Amen. All right? You got that? Amen. All right. I'm hoping you got it. All right. All right, so there's a couple of things that I want to point out. Um, I want to point out, you know, uh, number one, uh, that, you know, they, they asked the question, where? And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. And they wanted to worship. They came with a heart of worship. And then, then they were warned. But the first thing that I want us to look at today is we talk about ex expressing worship. Remember we said that um, if, uh, if it's not from the heart, if it's not truly from the heart, it's not worship. If you're just going through the motions, if you're just mouthing something, if you're just kind of going through, this, that's, what's, that's what religion is, where you go through the motions. But real worship is, you know, you recognize, you know, how great our God is, all the great things that God has done for you, your salvation, your healing, your deliverance, all of the eternity, all of those things that God has done for you. And it should just kind of, you know, just stir this, you know, I want to just praise you, God. I want to just thank you. I'm so excited about what you've done in my life, God. I give you praise. I give you honor. I give you glory. I don't care who's looking. I don't care who's watching. You know, I, I, I can lift my hands. I can, you know, shout uh, shouts of praise to God. I'm excited about what God has done to me. He has ta taken me from, you know, that broad and wide way that leads to destruction, and he's put me on that straight and narrow way that leads to life. And I can be excited about that. You can as well. All right, so these guys, they've traveled 500 miles. Uh, it's been a long haul for them, but they are pressing in. So, you know, the first thing that I want us to see about, about worship, that there is an offering and there's giving that's included with worship. And that offering and that giving, first of all, has to come from our hearts. It comes from our hearts for what God has done for us. And let's look at the scripture again. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east and came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And so, 
Now look at Psalm 51. Now, as I begin to look at this, you know, all through the Old Testament, you see just story after story about men and women coming to worship the Lord, but in their coming, they always bring an offering. They bring an offering, you know, some kind of offering. And I begin to think about that. You know, it, you know sometimes it was a, uh, an ox, sometimes it was a lamb, sometimes it was a goat uh, or ram, you know, all these different offerings. And I begin to think, you know, does God, does God really like that? Does God, you know, you put that on, you cut it in half and you put it on the fire. Does God like the smell of burning flesh? Is that what God likes? Is that, really, is that really what gets God going? Does he like the smell of that? For hundreds and th- for several thousand years, this is what the children of Israel did. They were obedient to the law of Moses. They'd bring their, you know, their, their grain offering, put it on the fire, bring their, you know, their sheep or their ox or, or their rams, put it on the fire. Is this really what God likes? Well, the answer is clear in the scriptures from uh, Psalm 51. Uh, David says, you do not delight in sacrifices or I would have brought it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, these you will not despise. That's the heart of God. So what is it about bringing these gifts? If you're a farmer or, you know, if you're raising sheep, what you're saying is that, you know, the the scripture says that you were to bring the firstborn male of your flock and present that uh, before the Lord. Just time and time again, this is what you brought. What you were doing in in saying that, or doing that, following the the word of the Scripture, is you were saying, you know, God, I don't know if this sheep is going to ever produce any more lambs at all. But in faithfulness to you, and in trusting you, I'm going to be obedient to your word, and I'm going to take this firstborn of the flock, because I trust in you and I want to be obedient to you and I'm offering it to you, not knowing whether that sheep, that female sheep will ever produce again. I'm giving you this out of a heart of worship. I'm giving. See, God is, he's looking at our heart. Remember that, you know, that when Jesse, uh, um, where Samuel uh, had gone up to Jesse's house and he's looking at the boys one by one by one, the sons of Jesse are passing by. And, and God told uh, Samuel, the prophet, he said, you know, I mean, Samuel thought, man, here's the first one. He's big. He's, he's stout. He's beefy, you know. I mean, you know, I, I mean, this guy is it. And surely Samuel thought this was the one. But God said, Sam, you're, you're looking at the outward appearance. I am looking at the heart. And that's just it with God. God is always looking at the heart. So when we come to God in our worship and bring our tithes and our offerings, the offerings that we bring to God, God is looking at our heart. How are we giving it? Are we giving it grudgingly? Or or just like, you know, um, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I want you to know that money can talk. And if you don't believe that, you know, it was talking to some of you as you're writing your checks this morning. You know, like, wait a minute, whoa, on those zeros right there. You can do a lot more with this. You know, it always has a way of just kind of like, you know, stopping us and, and trying to hold us back. But there is an attitude that, you know, that, that comes with worship that God really loves. And he loves a cheerful giver. He loves someone that just, you know, just wants to give and give and give. Look at Matthew chapter 6. He says, do not lay up for yourselves tre- treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves break in to steal but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. I think we've all experienced that. 
you know, uh, I think tithing, uh, tithing is one of the most difficult things that, that I think that Christians can come to grips with. But once you do, once you come to grips with, you know, giving to the Lord his portion, uh, your life will never be the same. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, I've been a Christian since 1970 is when I received the Lord. And just looking at this scripture once again today and yesterday, I got fresh enlightenment on it. You know, I used to always think that it was money. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. But, you know, after uh, looking diligently at this word, the New Testament, in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, mammon is referred to as material wealth or greed and most often personified, listen to this, as a deity. And during the Middle Ages, mammon was commonly personified as the demon of gluttony, riches, and injustice. Riches are called by the name of the devil, namely mammon. It's a, it's, a, it's a demonic God, and that's what Jesus was saying. You can't worship, you can't serve this demonic God and, and the Lord God at the same time. You can't do that. In the book of Corinthians, you know, he says that Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, you can't serve the table of the Lord and, and serve, or you can't eat at the table of the Lord and eat at the table of demons at the same time. You just can't do it. It won't work. You know, you've got to be loyal. You've got to be dedicated to one or to the other. And, uh, you know, there, there are two things. There, there, there really are, are two things that are tied to our heart, two enemies of mammon. Get this. If, I tell you what, if you get this, if you walk out of here with this today, uh, your life will be different. The two enemies of mammon is living below your means and giving generously. I mean, this is what, you know, that, that demon mammon despises and hates. He wants you to cling to what you've got. But listen to what Proverbs says. It's possible to give away and become richer. It's also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the liberal man shall be rich. By watering of others, he waters himself. The second thing I want us to see about uh, worship the heart of a true worshiper, is that there is a sacrifice. And this is so good, guys. There is a sacrifice that comes with worship. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. I want you to know that these were the finest gifts. These were the very best gifts that their country had to offer. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these gifts represented, uh, gold represented royalty, frankincense represented divinity, and myrrh his humanity. And they also represent prophet, king, and priest. In Malachi, listen to this, we're talking about giving and, and giving, bringing the very best. And I'm going to just ask you, you know, in your worship of God, when you worship God in presenting, in your gifts, in your giving to God, are you giving your very best? And, you know, it's, it, 
God could have just said, you know, I'm going to put a number on it. I'm going to put a number on, you know, if you really love me, this is what you're going to give. Say $100,000. You're going to give $100,000. You know, I mean, for some, that, you know, th that number is unattainable. I mean, they would just never, ever be able to give that much. So what is the best gift? For others, I mean, you know, they could have given a million dollars. But, you know, to each one, it's each individual has to look at their heart and see if they're giving the best gifts. We see, we read in the Old Testament that Solomon gave a thousand, in, at one offering, a thousand oxen, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs, okay? He was giving a very good offering, the best offering. And yet we see in the New Testament that this one little widow is giving two mites, and Jesus said she is giving her very best offering. She's giving the best. And so all I'm just asking you is that, you know, are you giving your best? Are you giving your very best to God? Um, in Malachi chapter 1, the prophet is kind of, you know, he, he's kind of, uh, getting on the, uh, the leaders at that time, the religious leaders, he says, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is not that wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? And what the Lord is saying is, you know what? You guys, you guys are treating me like some second-class citizen here. You know, what is with you? You're bringing me crippled animals and blind animals and diseased animals is what, you know, Malachi was saying. And he's saying that God's not pleased with that. He wants our very best. There's a great story that as I was, uh, you know, putting this together, and I want us to, I want to share it with you from uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And let me just give you a little background on this, that uh, David... This is later on in David's life, and, and David has, um, um, I mean, he, he just overcome so many obstacles, you know, in Israel. Then all of a sudden, David starts looking at his men, takes his eyes off of God, and he starts looking at his fighting men. And he begins to number the, the fighting men that he has in Israel. And, and the thing was so, this, this uh, decision was so abhorred by, by uh, Joab that he said, don't do this, don't do this. You know, God will multiply that. But David insisted, and as a result of that, God brought a plague on Israel. And then in the middle of this plague, over 70,000 people have died in the land of Israel. And David just says, God, you know, he says, listen, you know, this is me. This is me and my family. He said, these little sheep, they've done nothing to deserve this. Put this on me. And then all of a sudden, God, it says that God just kind of relented. God just thought, you know what, I'm, you know, in fact, the angel had his sword, draw, his sword drawn and God says, enough. He says, enough. Put your sword back in your sheath, is what God was telling the angel. I want to tell you that, that some of you have got a plague going on in your life. And, you know, uh, David was disobedient to the Lord. The way we open the door to plague in our life, and I'm just talking about just when, you know, your world is upside down. We're gonna, I'm going to get to what David did here in just a second. But, but, when God saw the heart of David and saw what David had done, God said, enough. And I think that some of you need to hear that this morning, enough, enough. You know, in, in um, 
after the children of Israel were disobedient to God and they just kind of roamed in the wilderness. And, and God said, you know what? You're going to go, just keep going around this mountain. You keep going around this mountain. And, you know, they're not, the, the, it's just routine, the same routine around the mountain. You know, six months, another year, another year, another year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. You keep going around the same old mountain. And finally, God says to the children of Israel, he says to Moses, enough, it's enough. You know, let's stop doing this. Let's turn the page. And we're getting ready to come to the end of 2013. For some of you, it's been a very difficult year. For some of you, it's been a very good year. But it's time to turn the page and just go on with life. Enough, enough. I hope some of you are getting that. Let me go on with my story about David. And David said, uh, to, this is the prophet Gad that, uh, that has come to him and um, and, uh, you know, God speaks to him about buying the threshing floor. This is such a beautiful story. There's just so, so much in it. But David said to him, let, he's talking to uh, Arana, and he says, let me have the site of your th threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord. So God tells uh, the prophet Gad to go to David and, and says to go and buy Arana's uh, threshing floor. And so David goes to him, he says, let me have your sight uh, so I can build an altar for the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me for the full price. And Arana said to David, take it, take it. Let my Lord, the king, do whatever pleases him. Look, I'll even give you the oxen. Look at this guy's heart right here. I'll give you the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges and the wood and the wheat and the grain offered. I'll give all of this. Look at this guy's heart. He said, man, I'm just going to give it all. I mean, if this is going to help God, if this is going to advance the kingdom of God, I'm in. I mean, count me in. I'm count, just count me in. I, I want to be a part of this. But King David replied to Arana, listen to this, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. You hear that? I mean, there is a cost. There is a cost to our sacrifice. That's what it is. It's not just the animal in that case that was being sacrificed, but there was a sacrifice on the individual's part. There was a sacrifice on these men that have traveled 500 miles to see, you know, uh, baby Jesus there to come and worship this newborn king. So David paid Arana 600 shekels of, of gold for the site, and he built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings on it and fellowship offerings, and he called on the name of the Lord. And what's he doing? He's, he's offering, he's, he's presenting this offering. He's worshiping God. This is, this is the heart of a worshiper. And he's calling on the name of the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven and on the altar of burnt offerings. And then the Lord spoke to the angel, and he put his sword back into his sheath. See, I believe that you know, when we got a plague going on in our life, Man, the, the, the best thing that you can do is just begin to worship God. I'm just going to worship you. You know, remember the little video clip that we saw? I mean, just in everything, in good times, in bad times, in hard times, in difficult times in life, and we all go through those. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, you know, naked I came out of the womb, and naked I'm going to return to this earth. You know, I'm, I'm going back. I'm not taking anything with me. But he says, blessed be the name of the Lord and everything in between. Now, the sweet thing about this is, now watch this. It says that he buys this threshing floor. 
Now watch this. Just watch how all history just kind of comes together here. In Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham, he says, I want you to take your son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, check out this next scripture. David wasn't able to build the, the uh, temple, but his son Solomon was. And David is dying, and, and or, yeah, David's dying. He's given Solomon instruction. And it says that Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, listen, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Man, you see how all that fits? I mean, first of all, God tells Abraham to offer his son there on this site. And then he tells David to buy this site. And then he tells his son Solomon, build the temple right here on the site. All right. Thirdly, there's a reward in worship. Now remember, we've got to go back to our wise men. They're coming into Jerusalem. They're following the star. And for some reason, this star stops in Jerusalem. But where was baby Jesus? He was in Bethlehem. Yeah, he was in Bethlehem. So check this out. And having been warned, that's our third W word this morning, in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So listen to this. They came. They, they come to Jerusalem. They, they're following the star. They come to Jerusalem. They don't know. They have to ask somebody. They don't know the Bible. They don't know what the Word of God is saying. They don't know that the Scripture says that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Why? Because they don't have a relationship with God. They've never connected with God. They don't understand the Word of God. You know, in, in all my years of being a pastor, it's been about 17 years now, you know, the greatest question that people ask me is, how can I know that I'm hearing from God? How can I hear from God? And that's exactly where these guys are. I mean, it's just like, they're just, they're just following a star. Remember, we said they were astronomers. They were astrologers. I mean, this was an incredible phenomenon to them. They're seeing this. It's not just a star. It's not a, a star like, you know, the stars that we see in heaven at night. I mean, this is some kind of, you know, supernatural phenomenon, this light is just kind of guiding them every step of the way, 500 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem, and they're following this light. And then as the scripture says that after they ask the question to Herod, and Herod doesn't even know, he's got to get the chief priests and the religious leaders out and ask them, where, you know, where's the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Where's the Messiah going to be born? And they get out the scripture. They go to Micah. They said, right here, it says that, you know, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And then they kind of go on their way. The star starts moving again and uh, lands over the house of uh, Mary and Joseph, not in the manger. By then, they've already moved on. Uh, they're living in Bethlehem, but the star or this light that they're following kind of settles right over the house. Now think about that. Think about this. They go to Jerusalem. Where, where is he? Where's Jesus? You know, I mean, we, we got this far, but this is as far as we can go. You know, where can we find this newborn king of the Jews? 
they don't know. They don't understand the scripture. They're not hearing God's voice. You know, they're just kind of like, you know, just kind of like wandering through life. Like some of you may be doing right now. Just kind of like wandering through life because you don't know. You're not hearing God's voice. You know, what is it? You know, what's next for you? Is it school or job opportunity? You know, what kind of, I believe that God wants to give us warning, just like it says, having been warned in a dream. These men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And they return to their country another route. You know, I mean, why? I mean, why, why that warning? You know, well, I'm going to tell you that Herod had a, had a condition. He had a medical condition. You know what it was called? Insanity. The guy was crazy. He was out of his mind. You know, the Bible says, in, or the uh, history tells us, and theologians tell us that, you know, he killed his first two sons because he was afraid that they were going to take over his throne. He killed his favorite wife. I mean, just think about it. He killed his favorite wife. What did he do to the ones that weren't his favorite? You know, um, and before he died, he knew that he was dying. He wanted, uh, he asked for 50 of the most famous, well-respected men of Israel. And he said, upon my death, I want you to put them to death so all of Israel will mourn for me. But upon his death, those men in his cabinet released those 50 men. Listen to this. There's a warning. I mean, is God trying to warn you about something right now? Is he trying to, is he trying to say something to you? You know, it's like they, didn't, they couldn't hear God until they came and worshiped and presented their best sacrifices to, to Jesus. You know, they brought the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. This was the best, best sacrifices, best offerings that they could bring. And then all of a sudden, after they do that, bam, they can hear God. God's saying, don't go that way. Don't go back that way. Don't go back to Herod. The guy's crazy. Hello. All right, let me show you another one. Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please him, God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, watch this, Noah being, help me, warned. Noah was warned of things not yet seen, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So I, want, I just want to ask you, is, you know, I mean, some of us have made some, some bad decisions in life. And did those bad decisions come because we couldn't hear God's warning? And is it possible that we couldn't hear God's warning because we weren't really worshiping God and bringing our very best to God, presenting our very best to the Lord? Is that possible? I think that it probably is. I believe that God would try to warn some of you about financial decisions today, about jobs, about relationships. I mean, how many people have been in, just got into a rotten marriage because they didn't listen to God? They didn't listen to the, the heeding or the warning from God saying, don't do this, just kind of went out on their own. Is God, God trying to speak to you about vision and direction in life? And if he is, and you feel like, you know what, man, I'm just not getting it. Let me just tell you what you need to do. You need to become a real worshiper. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well? That God is looking for worshipers. I want to tell you, that was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. God is looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. All right, that's it. I got one more scripture. 
Look at Psalm 32. This has become one of my favorite. But some of you are trying to find your way right now. Just your way with God, your way in this world, your, your way in, you know, with jobs and relationships and finances and school. And, you know, just, you know, there's a change in life. There's a change in life. As I mentioned earlier, we're kind of coming to the end of the year and, you know, God's about ready to turn the page on 2013 and bring us into 2014. And what does that hold? But the Lord says in Psalms 32, verse 8, he says, I will guide you. Listen, man, this is so reassuring. This is so comforting. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. And I will advise you and I will watch over you. You know what, guys? I am not afraid to go down that road. I'm not afraid to go down that road where God is guiding me along the best pathway of my life, and that he's going to advise me, and he's going to watch over me. You know, what opens the door to that? I think that real, you know, just bringing our very best offerings and sacrifices to God, you know, not because we have to. You know, there is a, uh, I just need to touch on this before I wrap it up, and and in the process of wrapping it up, if, if our prayer ministers, if you guys would just start, you know, kind of gravitating toward this uh, north wall right here, uh, I want to give people an opportunity to pray with you. So if you're a prayer minister, just head on over there. But I, I want to just tell you that there is a teaching, there's a teaching about money in the world today, in the church today, I should say, not in the world. But in that teaching is that you give to get, you give to get, you give to get, you give to get. And you know what? That's not the heart of a worshiper. How about just giving to give? How about just giving because, Lord, you saved me. Lord, you delivered me. God, you, 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 you brought me uh, eternity, an eternity where I can live with you. How about just giving out of a grateful heart? Yeah, I'm sure that God is just up there in, in heaven just saying right now, man, my, my people are finally getting it. You know, they're, they're giving to get, and, 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 you know, they're just, they're just, you know, really getting it. You know, we, we, you know and, and the other side of that is that, listen, there's no shortage in God's economy, okay? God didn't just run out of gold up there in heaven, you know, and need some more gold to pave the streets. Uh, you know, he's not hurting. He's not hard up, and he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our finances. But in giving, what we're saying is, God, I love you, and I trust you, and, I, and I'm just so willing to give you. You, know, you gave it all for me. Amen. You gave it all for me in giving your son Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave, and he gave it all. He gave the most precious thing to him in giving his son Jesus so that we could have salvation through his name. If you just stand with me, I want to pray with you and give you an opportunity to receive Jesus this morning. And uh, for those of you that need prayer, uh, our, our worship team, I think they're coming back. And uh, if you need prayer, just I encourage you to go over and, you know, maybe uh, there's just something that you want to pray with someone. But this morning, if uh, you've just been going through the motions, if you, you know, you feel like, you know, that your spiritual life is, is dull or dry or dying or dead, uh, then you need to be revived and you need to be touched and you need the living God. You need the resurrection and the life to come into your, into your being. And you want to start afresh. And I want to just tell you that, you know, uh, God is not so much concerned about where you've been as he's concerned about where you're going. And today you can 
set the course for a new direction in your life. And that is simply by following God and His Word, being obedient to His Word. And you today can start that by just simply saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your law. I've transgressed. I've sinned. My iniquities have separated me from you. And I ask you, Lord, that you would forgive me. I ask you, Father, that you would cleanse me by the blood of your son, Jesus. Your word says that if I confess my sins, and you know what those sins are, that you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I'm going to just tell you that if you prayed that prayer, God heard that prayer, and you were accepted not because of your good deeds, not because of the work that you've done. You're accepted because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. Guys, look at me for just a second. Let me just share one more thing with you. You know, I just want to tell you that, you know, many times we hear messages and, and we, we want the get out of hell free card. You know, we want to accept Jesus so we you know, can go to heaven and not go to hell. But I want to tell you that what God has in mind for you, remember when Jesus said that I've come to give you life and to give you a better life, to give you life more abundantly. It's not, he's not talking about when you die and go to heaven that you can have a better life. He's talking about right now. God wants to give you a better life right today. And so whatever you're struggling with, I mean, if it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or, you know, just unforgiveness or bitterness or hurt, you know, whatever's holding you back, God wants to give you better life today. He wants to give it to you right now. Not just when you die and when you get to heaven, things are, we know, all know that's going to be good. But God is promising you better life today. It's there and it's available for you. And you don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. It's a free gift of God.